back again. His thoughts were unclear. Why do I come back here again and again? Is it really belief? It always thought it was, but after the last time, everything he believed had to be questioned. Everything he believed was questioned since that horrible Passover. It was beginning to get light now. Micaiah could hear people stirring after three days of walking. He should have been so exhausted that they would have to shake him to consciousness. But no, the constellations that were now fading from view, he had watched dance a good third of their nightly course. Oh, God! Did he say that aloud? Oh, God, are you there? Are you real? He lay still, flat on his back on the roof of his cousin's house, conscious of all the scores of others crowded up there because of the festival. The scores of thousands here in the city. And yet he felt alone, empty. He was glad that he had come in late and so was out in the open. It was good to have something besides a cloth or roof to look at with unseeing eyes. How many battled with their beliefs as he was? Finally, he could get up. It was still a little early, but no one would scrutinize him with questioning eyes now. And moving about gave some semblance of life, well, of living, to what was feeling more and more like a walking death. Still contemplating at breakfast, he suddenly realized he had not acknowledged anyone around him for some time. He hadn't even remembered they existed. He jerked his head up and looked around, sure that they would be staring at him. But no one was. There were just furtive glances here and there. Then he knew there was no festive spirit at all. No one felt like they did last Pentecost or even the last time they were all here. Seven weeks and a day. Seven long weeks and a day. When they first got here for Passover. That, of course, was it. Everything was soured now. It, it would never be the same again. Those around him moved like brutish cattle as he prepared for their trek to the temple. Micaiah himself moved mindless of his surroundings. What had drawn him back here this time? Would he come back again? If all these had hollow chests like his, would any come for the next festival? He had hoped for that old feeling. He had hoped for hope. But there was only emptiness. They all began to move through the crowded streets with no more consciousness than the sheep who knew not that they would soon be slaughtered. People were pouring out of the houses and down from the rooftops then the inevitable slowing as they climbed towards the temple. Stench of animals and humans nearly overpowered him. The very joy that used to swell up in him as these thousands all celebrated together had been sucked out of his soul. That was just so much noise. No longer a mass of celebrants pressing toward their goal. Now, determination seemed to be the only driving force some sort of unwillingness to let the past die. But Micaiah knew the past was dead 
this festival could not change what had happened. Their hope, their joy was buried with the Nazarene carpenter. Suddenly, Micaiah shot his hand up in self-protection and ducked down. There were cries of fear. What was that sound? He had heard something like it before in the mountains. A great storm had caught them on a trip and they hid in a cave. The wind sounded like it would tear the very rock of the mountain to pieces. But here, the sky was clear. The flags and tents moved listlessly. What could this mean? He slowly stood upright. There, someone pointed, in that house. For certain they were correct, but there was nothing to be seen. Just a house with this tremendous sound emanating from it. Micaiah blinked his eyes to try to make them see reality as he pressed toward the house. Then he saw the people on the roof. At least as many as had shared his cousin's roof, but all with their hands stretched toward heaven with joy on their faces. They were crying out. He could hear nothing over the wind. The wind that wasn't a wind. Then as suddenly as it had begun, the sound ceased. The change was so dramatic that it seemed as if sound had ceased to be. But slowly, the voices of the people filled the vacuum. Soon he could hear those on the roof exclaiming, all of them at once, they weren't hollow, they weren't aimlessly plodding along, they were praising God. But he could only understand some of them. They were speaking all sorts of languages. But they were all wearing the same style of clothes. Clearly they were all, or at least most of them, from Galilee. How could they know all these languages? He knew Latin and could hear that. He'd been decreed enough to recognize their language improbably flowing from the lips of an older Jewish woman. The whole crowd that had rushed toward that sound now stood in awe, listening to praises rain down on them. A voice shouted out near him, an Arab proselyte was crying out in his own language. If Micaiah caught it correctly, the man asks, How do you praise God in my tongue? Then another, was he from Persia? And soon there were voices in every language shouting all with the same question. But those on the roof didn't even seem to notice them. There was no answer. The shouting in the streets died down. After a few moments, some man mocked, Oh, they're just drunk. Craftsmen began to laugh and ridicule drunkards, thoughts. Were they blind? How could anyone think that this could be a result of alcohol? Micaiah was about to berate some of them when a movement on the roof caught his eye. A small group of the men came to the edge of the roof. One of them raised his hand and the crowd quieted down. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Micaiah's heart was racing. The hope, the hope of Israel. Was this true? Was the joy to be back? No, not back, finally here. There was murmuring all through the crowd. 
Then the man's expression changed. Men of Israel, hear these words. It seemed almost like a warning the way he said it. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was true. It was true. Micaiah knew that he had been complacent in the carpenter's death. He was as guilty as those filthy Roman soldiers. And he wasn't alone. There were cries from people all throughout the crowd. But the man's tone moved to wonderment as he went on. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Could this be true? He had heard rumors, of course, but he had dismissed them as the ravings of hopeless followers. The man picked up a scroll and held it up. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Okay, this was true, but wasn't David talking about himself? The man put the scroll down. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. True. True. So it couldn't be David. His body went the way of all those before him. So what did it mean? Micaiah turned his attention back to the man. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. The Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One, he would not see corruption. Of course, that made sense. But Jesus was the Christ. The man, when he had claimed that they were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, had swept his hand around to indicate all those on the roof. Micaiah scanned those scores of people. He could see them all smiling and glowing with joy. He looked around at the crowd as they all began to whisper to each other, look up and back and all around. This was indeed an amazing claim. Micaiah was desperate to hear more, but he had to wait for the crowd to quiet down again. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. As the man said this, all those on the roof began to shout and praise God again. They once again used the myriad languages they had before. Their hands were again stretched toward heaven and as if they were trying to touch the face of God. This was something amazing. Could it be? The man returned to his argument. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord. What was he saying? God says to God? What was he claiming? This is fantastic. Then the man's face became stern, and he stretched out his arm to point at one end of the crowd, and he slowly swept it across to include all that stood in the street 
And with power he proclaimed, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Micaiah felt a jolt go through him. Great weights crashed down on his shoulders. He fell to his knees. Oh God, oh God, I did crucify him. I did reject the truth. I did reject the one who is God. I am guilty of his death. Micaiah's heart was pierced with the terrible truth of this accusation. All around him, men and women were sobbing and crying out they were guilty of the most horrible sin, the death of the one sent from God. He looked up at the man and the eleven that stood with him. In agony, he cried out, Brothers, what shall we do? And the man poured out the hope he so clearly held as he opened his arms and said, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Micaiah felt the tears flowing down his cheeks as he asked God for forgiveness and turned away from his sins. And then a strange other thing occurred. He knew somehow that the Spirit of the living God was with him, in him, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He slowly stood to his feet as he looked up in wonder. The man was smiling as he gazed across the crowd. Micaiah realized with mild shock that he was standing in a crowd. He had forgotten anyone else was there in that amazing moment. Now he too looked around saw a great many others throughout the crowd who were looking in wonder about them as he did. As the eyes of each person met his, they both knew the Spirit of the living God is resident in that one. This knowledge of the presence of the Holy Spirit led to a thrill in his heart that spread through his body. He felt alive. He realized he had never felt alive before. He raised his hands toward heaven and began to praise God himself. All around him, people were praising God in their native tongue, myriads of languages, all with one purpose. How long this went on, Micaiah had no idea, but then someone quoted the man, the promise is for us and for our children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. We must show them this great truth. We must be baptized a thought came to Micaiah and he shouted it out. The ritual cleansing baths in the temple. The crowd called to the men on the roof and they came down and led the procession to the temple. The throngs in the temple gazed in wonder as this crowd entered and made their way toward the baths. Each of the twelve took a place and began to baptize the new believers as they came forward one after the other. Micaiah came out soaked and filled with joy. He put on his outer garment, but it soon absorbed the moisture of his clothes. Everyone could see that he was one of those baptized. He was glad of it. He moved out of the way so others could be baptized and was soon at the edge of the temple throngs. The spokesman for the twelve had been teaching continuously and now he cried out to everyone there, Save yourselves from this crooked generation! A man next to Micaiah grabbed his arm and looked earnestly into his eyes. What does this mean? You are one of those baptized. I, I feel as if... I don't understand. Please, I must know. What is this thing that God is doing? Micaiah's joy only increased as he told him of the wind and the languages, the guilt and the resurrection. 
the promise of the Holy Spirit and the new life he now lived. The wonder on the man's face grew with each word. God in us. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for us. Soon Micaiah was on his knees with this man, watching his tears, seeing him recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit within him, leading him to be baptized. The birth of the church. This was an event. (laughs) Real people, like our imaginary Micaiah, got to experience the birth of the church. A birth is an amazing thing. Luke, who penned the book of Acts, knew how amazing births are. He was a doctor, probably witnessed a few births. Uh, You should not miss experiencing a birth should you have the chance. Our kids were born at the end of that age where babies were delivered like pizza, you know. (laughs) Fathers were supposed to come and pick up theirs up like at an appointment. So I missed the births of our first two. But our third and last, I did get to be there for. And it was a defining moment in my life. I've related this story to uh, many, many, many people. And maybe some of who could have lived their lives just fine without hearing it. Uh, And others, uh, much to their chagrin, have probably heard it multiple times. But some people could experience the wonder of birth vicariously. And perhaps that's the only way they will ever experience it. Just let me know if you want to hear the story. I'll I'll give you the long version. (laughs) A birth is an amazing thing. And this is true with the birth of the church. There could only be one day when the church was born. Luke understood that. He, He missed it himself. So he interviewed those who were there and recorded the event for us. And I hope the story that I wove around the true text, the text is true, the story's not necessarily at all. I hope it helped you, though, to feel some of the wonder those people must have felt. Some of the wonder Luke that wanted to share with us. We can learn some excellent, basic, but excellent facts about the church in this text. We'll call it Church 101. As we look at the special, miraculous, wondrous events that Luke recorded, we will see there were changes that were taking place from nationalized, priest-driven, external worship to individualized, internal worship as the body of Christ, from Israel to the church. And we get a basic description of what it means to belong to the church. So let's... Let's look at those special events, the miracles, the wind, the fire, and the languages, simply called tongues in the Greek. Let's start with the wind. Now, God is often associated with special winds. He caused a wind to blow across the waters after the flood in order to dry the land. He used a wind to part the Red Sea and let the Israelites escape from the Egyptians. He brought quail for those Hebrews to eat with the wind. Again and again, God used the wind for his purposes. The ship Jonah used to run from God's work was driven back by a wind from God. (laughs) So, yeah, he uses wind all sorts of ways. But the most interesting, as it relates to the birth of the church, comes from the well-known story of Elijah. Listen as the Lord answers Elijah's prayer. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, a still, small voice. First there was a wind. Then there was an earthquake. Then there was a fire. Then there was the still, small voice, a whisper. Maybe a bit like the birth of the church. Let's look at that birth from the perspective of those who were part of it. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together at one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. First, the wind. Now here, we're not told that the house was shaken but as a later movement of the Spirit did shake the house in a very similar circumstance, I think we can be sure that it was shaken here. At least it might have been. I think it was. But before the voices praised God, there was, much like Elijah's experience, a wind, an earthquake, probably, and a fire. So the fire. Now, we don't know if the bystanders saw the tongues of fire. Probably not. They don't make any mention of it in their questioning. But those who were born as the church did. And what did they think? What did they remember? The Lord appeared to Moses in a fire that did not burn the bush. The Lord led the children of Israel by a pillar of fire at night. When Moses went up to receive the law, the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. But most importantly, the fire of the Lord was over the early temple whenever the Lord was there. That's how they knew the Lord was in the temple. You see, you used to have to come to the temple to worship the Lord, but now believers are the temple of the Lord. Then, only the priest could come into the holy place of the temple, and only the high priest could enter the holy of holies. Then, the Spirit of God came on the prophets and only those who prophesied. Now, he will live in us. We don't need priests. (laughs) Now we have his word. We don't need prophets. Now we are a kingdom of priests for him. We talked about that flame over the temple. It was common only to the early temple and only at the beginning. And as for the New Testament, there's no other record of a fire appearing above any believer's head. This is the only time. This fire appears to be a sign designed to celebrate the beginning, the birth, of the church. And that last miracle, the last special event, was the praising of God in many languages. Languages they had never learned. They didn't learn them, they just started speaking them. It was often called tongues. Those in the crowd listening were believers, or at least wanted to be. They were either born Jews or had accepted the worship of Yahweh through the Israeli national religion. So they all studied carefully. They knew their Bible, the Old Testament. They knew that at the beginning, everyone spoke the same language. Everyone worshipped God at the same level. They actually did not worship God at the same level, and so the flood. Everyone was destroyed except the eight who believed. And then people multiplied and once again defied God and refused to spread across the earth. So God implemented the next stage in his plan. He caused them to speak multiple languages. They could not understand one another. And then, after time, the message of God was entrusted to one man. It was confined to one language, to one people. Official worship of God 
only happened in the language and the culture of the Hebrews. But now, with the birth of the church, all those languages that God created would be used to worship him. All people within their own culture could worship God. All people in their native tongue could worship the Lord. Now, you heard Peter's sermon within the story I told. Let me recap it for you. He said, first, this is real. (laughs) Okay? It is the Holy Spirit. And then he went on to tell them, you are guilty of Jesus' death. But God has planned this just as he planned and foretold his resurrection. Jesus was raised, and there are witnesses, lots of them. The Bible tells us there were over 500 witnesses. The natural result of Jesus' life and death and resurrection is that he reigns in heaven and thus has authority and power to give these signs and this gift. And if you want into the family of God, you must understand that everything starts with this point. Admit you are a sinner. You crucified Christ. Peter starts and comes back to that on purpose. Repent. (laughs) Turn from your sins, your wicked ways, and follow Christ. A. Admit. But to admit and repent, you must believe. You must believe that Jesus is the Christ. That he can and will save you. That he is both Lord and Christ, as Peter said. Believe. And if he is both Lord, ruler of everything, and Christ, then you must and will commit your life to him. Everything you are and have, you must trust to him. Every relationship, every moment. In answer to their question of what to do, Peter concluded by saying you can demonstrate the inward change of your heart. Demonstrate that you admit you are a sinner, that you believe Jesus the Christ can and will save you, that you have committed your life to him. They demonstrated by the outward sign of baptism. We still believe baptism is the right, the best way to demonstrate, but it's, it was definitely a Jewish thing, so they definitely did. <laughs> baptism. And that's what they did. By the thousands, 3,000 that first day. They baptized 3,000 people that first day. Over 5,000 in just a few days. It's a wonderful thing to study in depth the teachings of Scripture. And to do so draws us ever closer to him. But the basic message has not changed since the birth of the church. A, B, C. Admit Believe, commit. Church 101. So the question is, is your life hollow? Maybe it's time to admit you killed Jesus. Time to recognize the horror of your sins, to say that another way. That's why Jesus died. Perhaps you're ready to believe Jesus rose from the dead, that he can and will save you from a certain and eternal death now the time when you commit your life every part of it to him do you do we who have started the Christian walk do we know someone whose life is hollow we can do as our imaginary Micaiah did and begin to tell others of Jesus 
of the presence of God in us. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's time that we cared enough to tell someone that they killed the Christ. (laughs) Wow. But that he rose from the dead. For it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death can't hold him. He can and will save you. That he can and will help them commit their lives to him. That the rest of their lives can be a wondrous journey towards a perfect eternity with him. You know, when you think about it, maybe we can experience the birth of the church. At least one little part of it. You gotta try it. Tell somebody. Tell somebody about the ABC. Just try it. You might get to witness a birth, one little part of the church, and it will be a defining moment in your life. I promise. Father, thank you. Thank you for your plan. I don't think anybody could have seen it. Nobody would have seen it coming. What an amazing, amazing thing you did. And you wanted that birth of the church at that time to be an enormous thing. Because all the people in the first church were Israelites. Or people who believed the way the Israelites did. They already believed in you. They just had to understand God is more than God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the, the three persons and the one essence that is God. That's a long ways to step. I just thank you that those early people understood. I guess they got to see Jesus. It must have helped. <laughs> one day we will get to see him too. But for now... We believe when we haven't seen. But we have seen one thing. We've seen you change lives. People that should not live in the good life that they live. They should not have the peace they have when they have it. Maybe we've seen something even more powerful. Certainly it's your plan. Lord, I pray for each person here that they would examine their hearts and know, know whether they have a relationship with you or not. If they don't, I pray that you would draw them today to admit, to believe, to commit. Then, Lord, we're going to walk out these doors in a while. We're going to be in the middle of the world. we got to deal with it. You have us here on purpose. Part of that purpose is to talk to some people that need you desperately. Just help us to keep the message in a form they can understand. Help us to say it in a way that makes sense to them. Help us to teach them what admit means, believe means, what commit means in a way that they can grasp. Maybe, just maybe, We'll get to see a little bit of the birth of the church. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.